been uh, it's been a blessing for me to be able to once again study this letter that Paul wrote to the churches of Galatians. Paul, for we have been for the last couple weeks looking at his discussion on uh, two ways to be right with God. Really, there's only one way to be right with God, but he gives us two, a false way and a true way, two ways to be right with God, faith plus um, works of the law or faith alone. And for Paul, it's faith in Christ alone by which we are justified, by which we are put in a right position with God. And so he speaks about justification by faith in chapter 2. You remember the general outline in uh, chapters 1 and 2, he establishes his authority to say some things. And in verses 3 and 4, he says those things. And in verses 5 and 6, he's going to tell us how to live by the things that he said. And so at the end of chapter 2, verses uh, 15 through 21, he begins to um, transition into that discussion about what he's going to say for us in chapters 3 and 4. And he talks about justification by faith. He talks about the core of the gospel, that we are made right with God in a right standing with God by faith alone. And then he moves into chapter 3 in the first uh, five verses. He's going to uh, tell the Galatians, you know, this is what you believe. Now I want you to actually remember your experience. I want you to remember your experience of, of receiving the Holy Spirit by faith because that is how you actually did it and remember that. And now he's going to come and give proof of that through the scriptures. You know, we would sometimes think it would be opposite of that. We, you know, we always go to these scriptures and then we say, okay, where do we see examples of this? He does just the opposite. He says, look at your own life. Look at how you came to Christ. And now I want to show you that the Old Testament, the way of salvation in the Old Testament is exactly the same as the way of salvation in the New Testament, and it is by faith. And Paul proves his point from Scripture in the Old Testament, that salvation in the Old Testament is by faith, salvation in the New Testament is by faith, and faith alone. So what are we going to see in these um, few verses, verses 6 through uh, 14 this morning, we're going we're gonna to look at this. We're going to see two contrasting ways to be right with God. One leads to blessing and one leads to a curse. You are either on your way to being right with God through the way of blessing or through the way of curse. That the path to blessing is through faith. The path to curse is through faith plus. So let's look at that. Beginning in verse uh, 6, we'll look at verses 6 through 9. First of all, the, the path to blessing is the way of faith. And then we'll look in verses 10 uh, through 14. The path to cursing is the way of the law. He begins in uh, verse 6 and he says, Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him, as righteousness. Some question whether uh, verse 6 is, is part of 
verses 1 through 5 or part of 7 through 9, and um, it really doesn't matter. In the Greek version, uh, there were no paragraphs, and so we are, we are blessed to have paragraphs because they help us to see ideas, but verse 6 is really uh, kind of a swing verse. It, swing, it hinges and, and swings us to verses 1 through 5, and then it swings us uh, to verses 7 through 9. In verse 6, we could say it, it comes back to verses 1 through 5 because in 1 through 5, he talks about their experience. And he's saying, just as you experienced Christ and salvation and justification by faith, so Abraham believed God. Abraham was justified by faith just as you are. And then he's going to use the example of Abraham and swing us into uh, verses 7 through 9 and go to the Old Testament and show us that Abraham is the example of justification by faith. But a fully accepted, uh, he's fully accepted by God, not by observing the law, but only by faith. Verse 9 is going to tell us that so then uh, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. The, uh, I like the New American Standard Version here, or, the, uh, or even the American Standard Version. It says, Abraham the believer. He was the believer. He wasn't the law worker. He was the believer. And so he's going to say, surely it's by the hearing of faith, or hearing accompanied by faith, that you are justified and it, so was it with the case of Abraham. So the question when I read that, that, that probably pops up in some of your minds as well, is Paul is preaching to a uh, Gentile church of the most part. So why does he use the example of Abraham? You know, the Galatians are, were not Jewish. There were some Jewish believers in there, but for the most part, Galatians were, were Gentiles. And that's the whole reason he's, he's writing this. So why use, why use Abraham, who is a Jewish model, to talk to a Gentile congregation? Well, if you think about that question, I hope the first word that comes to your mind is Judaizers. The Judaizers. Judaizers because they are trying to make Gentiles Jews. This is one of those cases where we're holding one end, we're listening to one end of the phone conversation. And we're saying, why this? And more than likely, the Jews were, the, were looking at the traditional Jewish view of Abraham to prove their point. Because Abraham was circumcised. And they would say that Abraham was circumcised because God made a covenant with him. And, and that is true. And that circumcision completed his salvation. So the Jewish argument would go something like this. That Abraham was a, the father of Israel. And as the father of Israel, he passed on his Jewishness to his line. And so if you are Jewish, you are right with God. By being a Jew, you are right with God. And they would, they would bet eternity on a Abraham's 
ancestry. So if you want to, if you want to complete your salvation, what do you need to do? Become Jewish. You need to get circumcised, first of all, and then you need to fulfill the rituals. You know, I was um, came across some YouTube videos of this Jewish man who became a believer, and he was interviewing Jewish men on the streets of, of Israel, uh, actually in Jerusalem. And he would ask them about Christ, and he would ask them about their relationship to God. And the answer he would get was, you know, um, that's, that's what you say. And they didn't really have an answer for him. They would say this. They would say, if you want to know more, you need to go to the rabbi because the rabbi can explain this to you. And I was taken aback by that. And, and I, I realized, and, and uh, I was talking to Bob about this a little bit yesterday. He's now on a plane on his way to Israel um, with a Jewish rabbi. Um, and we were talking about that, that the fact that today even most Jews in, in Israel are very secular, but they are Jewish. They are physical Jews. And so they dress Jewish, but they don't have a relationship with God and they don't have a relationship with Christ because they don't believe he's the, the Messiah. But they're, they're betting their eternity on the fact that they are Jewish. When we were in Israel 2019, we were, we were in Jerusalem and we were at the east wall and I was observing some of the Jewish men who were at the wall. That's where you go to pray and you put your prayer requests in the wall. And I saw this one guy and he was standing by the wall and he had his back turned to the wall and he was talking on his cell phone. And I thought, that's a typical view, isn't it, of someone who has no relationship with God, but they're basing everything they have on, on their physical descent from Abraham. And so Paul's going to take the scripture, and Paul's proof is going to be that, that Abraham was also saved by faith alone. And that's going to be a devastating argument for nationalistic Israel, that we are descendants of Abraham, not from physical lineage, but we are spiritual descendants of Abraham. And his argument from the Old Testament goes something like this. In Genesis chapter uh, 12, Genesis chapter 12, this first, the story begins of, of Abraham. And Abraham, just in chapter 11, at the end of chapter 11, we learn he's from Ur, Ur of the Chaldeans. Um, his, he lived in the days of Terah, for 250 years, Terah was, uh, died in Haram. And then in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, his name before Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and I'll make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We begin hearing the, the curse and the blessing uh, language here. But God calls Abraham. And Abraham obeys and he leaves his country. And God says all the nations of earth 
are going to be blessed by you. What is that blessing? Well, um, chapter 3 of Galatians, verse 8. Verse 8 says, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you all the nations will be blessed. He's taking that verse and, and he's using that and saying all of the nations will be blessed through you. What is that blessing? Well, at least part of that blessing is justification, is a right standing before God. That the Gentiles, the, the nations of the Gentiles will be blessed and that was foreseen in the Old Testament because the gospel was preached to Abraham that all nations would be blessed in him and Abraham was blessed and the nations will be blessed. So Abraham becomes a believer and we see that because, because um, he quotes again Genesis chapter, chapter 15 verse 8 says and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. That's Galatians 3.6. It comes from uh, Genesis 15.6. So what is he saying here? Well, he's telling Abraham in verse 15, well, actually in verse chapter 14, verse 22, Abraham says, I've lifted my hand to God. I have made a pledge to God, to, to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. I have committed my life to God. And in, in chapter 15, God tells him, fear not, Abraham, I'm your shield and reward, your reward shall be great. But Abraham said, O Lord, what will you give me for I continue childless? I don't have any kids. How am I going to be a father of many nations? And verse 3, and Abraham said, behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. And what did God say to him? God says, and he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you're able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And then we're told, and he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. He believed the Lord. The promise came by faith. Salvation comes by faith. He's not the first person in the Bible to believe uh, God, by the way, I, we, we read, we've read of others, Enoch believed God and, and Noah believed God, but Abraham becomes the father of the faith to the nation of Israel. Not only the, the physical Israel, but the spiritual Israel. There is, a, there is a promise. Now, the Jewish argument is Abraham is the pattern. Abraham is the pattern, and Abraham was circumcised and that is true in Genesis chapter 16 verse 15 we read this and Hagar bore Abraham a son and and Abram called him uh, called the name of his son uh, whom Hagar bore Ishmael Abraham was 86 years old doubt crept in but in the verse in chapter 17 we read when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between you and me and may multiply you greatly. Then Abraham fell on his face. Behold, my covenant is 
with you and you shall be the father of multiple uh, of of a multitude of nations no longer shall your name be Abram but it shall be called Abraham for I've made you a father of a multitude of nations and what was that covenant that covenant was circumcision Abraham was to be circumcised and he was and he said in verse 11 you shall be circumcised in your flesh of your foreskin and it shall be a sign of a covenant between me and you and that's a pretty convincing argument the problem with that argument is that here Abraham is 99 years old and God says keep my covenant and every male should be circumcised at least at least 14 years have passed since it was counted to him as righteousness you see the circumcision didn't come till at least 14 years after his salvation after he professed faith in 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 God not only that but the law itself was given hundreds of years after Abraham so when Abraham when we're told he he believed and it was credited to him it was counted to him as righteousness there was no law there was no circumcision none of that was around when Abraham expressed his belief in God why well because there even though there is a physical circumcision God's intent was that circumcision would be a circumcision of the heart in Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 16 he says this circumcision circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn circumcision was a sign of cleansing and I think we need to explain why it was a sign of cleansing but it was a sign of cleansing a cleansing of the heart ultimately and when we come to uh, Colossians chapter 2 verse 11 circumcision is gone just have a circumcision of the heart we're told Philippians 3 talks about a spiritual cleansing. It is a cleansing of the heart. So what is Paul saying? Paul is saying Abraham was a, was a Gentile when God saved him. Abraham is not an illustration for the Judaizers, for Gentiles to be circumcised, for Gentiles to complete their salvation by observing the law because Abraham was not righteous Abraham doubted Abraham was not righteous but God justifies him God counts him as righteous so even though they are physical descendants of Abraham that is not the point and Jesus said the same thing, didn't he? In John, John chapter 8, when he was talking to uh, some people who, quote, unquote, uh, believed in him. In John chapter 8, verse 31, it says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, 
If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They, they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been a slave to anyone, even though they were a slave to uh, the Romans at this point. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. I know that you are an offspring of Abraham. Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father and you, and you do what you have heard from your father. He doesn't say who their father is. And they answered him, we are fa our father is Abraham. Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham. What is, what is that? You would be believing. You would be doing the works of Abraham, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. And then he says this, this is not what Abraham did. You are doing the work that your father did. And he says in verse 44, you are of your father, the devil. See, Abraham was a man of faith. Jews thought that God owed them. They are physical children of Abraham. But Abraham believed. Hebrews chapter 11, the whole, uh, the whole chapter on faith. And Abraham plays a, a major role part in this and in verse uh, 8 of Hebrews 11 says by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place at, and to receive an inheritance and in verse 10 for he was looking forward to the city of foundation whose designer and builder is God by faith Sarah herself received power to conceive verse 17 by faith Abraham when he was tested offered Isaac Faith, it's always by faith, by faith, by faith. You never read by works, Abraham did these things. And so what does that mean for us? We're sons of Abraham, not by blood. You are a son of Abraham by faith. And that means in, in verse 7 that those of faith are uh, not flesh are sons of Abraham. It means in, in verse 8 that the scripture was preached uh, to Abraham and Abraham's faith is a model of faith to the world. What was the scripture that was preached to Abraham? It was the gospel that the whole world will be blessed because of by faith you will be justified. See, he's saying that faith is not works of righteousness. John MacArthur's put it this way, faith is not a righteous work faith is an empty hand receiving righteousness abraham received righteousness with an empty with open hands and empty hands and he believed god and god fulfilled his promise that is the way to blessing faith and faith alone but he goes on in in verse 10 of Galatians 3. And he, he talks about the path 
that leads to a curse. And the path to curses is the way of the law. Verse 10, he opens up with this. For all who rely on the works of the law. Verse 7 says, know then that it is those of faith. There's a contrast here. You could actually put a line from uh, those of faith in verse 7 to those who rely on works of the law. There, it's, it's a contrast of these, these two ways. Relies on the law contrasts with faith. That those who are characterized by faith and those who are characterized by works of the law. Those of faith receive the blessing. Those of the law receive a curse. So how does Paul support his conclusion? He quotes, again, he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26. This is a passage where Paul is giving the law to, to Israel. And in chapter 27, verse 26, he says this, Cursed be anyone who does not conform to the words of this law by doing them, and all the people shall say amen. He quotes that verse. Now, it's interesting that, that he quotes that verse because when we read that verse, it, it almost sounds like he's teaching the opposite, that we need to, to do these words, that those under the law are under a curse, but cursed is everyone who does not uh, do the works of the law. So how can this be? That's, it seems like a contradiction. Well, in Galatians, he says that one who does not do all that is under the law, that you do not do everything that is in the, written in the law, because everything in, in, written in the law must be done to avoid the curse. You must do everything in the law, that only those who do everything written in the law will escape the curse. The problem is no one can do everything written in the law. Therefore, no one who depends on the law will escape the curse. Why? Because you're going to fail. And I believe that is what he's saying here because he repeats that in, in uh, chapter 5, verse 3. Chapter 5, verse 3, he says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. The law cannot provide blessing because it involves doing. And it involves doing something that is impossible for human beings to do. And so in verses 11 and 12, he, he reinforces that in uh, verses 11 and 12, chapter 3. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law. The righteous shall live by faith. He quotes again Habakkuk 2.4 there. Um, but the, the law is not of faith. What is he saying uh, in, in verse 10? That what the law does to those who depend on justification on the law for justification, what it does is it puts the burden of verse 10 on them. That is, what it cannot accomplish. You cannot be justified by works of the law because it cannot be accomplished in doing 
the law because you can't do all of the law. What His argument goes something like this. Verse 11, the law cannot justify because, second half of verse 11, it is faith that justifies and the law is not a matter of faith. So, no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous live by faith. The law has nothing to do with being justified. You say, well, what about the, the sacrificial system? You know, the Jews had, they sinned, they would offer sacrifice for sin, so they would again be in a right position with God, and there were sacrifices for sin in the, in the Jewish system. However, at the cross, when Jesus was crucified on the cross, when he gave his life, when his body was broken, when he, when he shed his blood, all of that ended. The curtain was torn in two. The priest no longer goes into the Holy Holy to, to offer sacrifices for sin. There was one sacrifice paid for all time. And that is the only way to become justified. Hebrews chapter 9 uh, talks about that in verse 11. Chapter 9 verse 11 of Hebrews says this, But when Christ appeared as a high priest, of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of, he of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish before God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. There's only one way. Paul's saying there is only one way. In verse 14 he says that there's only one way to be right with God. To get out from under this, this curse, and it is the provision of Christ. In, De in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 22, we read these words. And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on that tree. But you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Talks about curses here in the Jewish tradition was showing the dead man's body, who is a blasphemer. He was tied to a post. He was tied to um, a pole. 
as a sign of rejection by God. In order to detour uh, others from following his behavior, he was cursed by God and he was tied to a pole. Jesus was cursed by God and he was hanged on a tree. The purpose, in order that we have the blessing, the blessing of Abraham, in order that we have justification through faith, in order that we have salvation, in order that we have righteousness, in verse 14, in order that we have the Holy Spirit. There are two curses in verses 10 through 14. A divine curse on all men because we cannot fulfill the law. There's no human remedy for that. How can God declare sinful people righteous? How can he uh, impute the righteousness of Christ into us? Because uh, we are told the Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Our punishment is severe. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 gives us the hope that we need. Chapter 5, verse 21, we read these words. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The second curse, it's a divine curse on one man. That man was Jesus. And Paul is saying there is only one way to God, and that is by believing. Why is this important? Why, you know, so we have faith in God and we, and we follow some rules? Why is that? Why is he beat on this so much? Because it's a wrong view of God. Because God never begins with the law. God never begins with rules. God begins with grace. There are no rules. There's relationship. We don't begin with obedience. We end with obedience. We begin with grace. And the importance is this. When we begin with, with obedience... When we begin with the law, what does that lead to? It leads to guilt. Remember, some of you may have grown up in church, you went to youth camp or uh, men's retreat, and you make promises. I'm going you know, to do a lot better in my life in this area. I'm going to really conquer this sin in my life. I'm going to do this with my family. And, and time goes on and, and we fail. And guilt builds up, and there's a struggle to obey. I'm going to do it this time. I'm going to do it this time. And, and, and we fail. And the guilt continues to mount, and we get to the point where we say, I, I can't do this. And we begin to compartmentalize the things that we can do. And I'm going to be accepted by God because these are the things that I can do. And again, we fail. 
and that compartmentalizing our our sins or our law leads to apostasy and it leads to unbelief and it leads to a hardness of heart but God begins with grace and when we begin with grace and we begin with with faith in God what does that lead to it leads to freedom he's going to talk about that in chapter 5 but what does that freedom lead to freedom leads to guilt we still have guilt why because we don't want to sin we've been free Christ has died for us. He's given his life for us, but it leads to guilt. But that guilt leads to confession. That guilt leads to repentance. And ultimately, that guilt leads to worship. And what does worship lead to? Worship leads to obedience. That's why it's so important. It changes your whole perspective. It takes you out of a... a, a place of fear and puts you in a place of security because it's only by faith it's not by anything that we do the saved do obey co the commands of God but it's because of of love it's how we express our Josh said a gratitude it's how we express our gratitude to God for for his love and his sacrifice and his obedience that is that are represented today by by these uh, elements that we will partake of the problem is when we get saved what, what's the first question we ask what must I do to be saved and we live that way in our lives we're afraid of what people are, will say we're afraid of what God will say and and Paul mentions that. Who cut in on you? Who were you listening to that, that took you away from the grace that you were saved by? So if we have a right view of God, if we understand that justification and, and life in Christ and ultimate judgment, it's, it's not by works, it's by faith. What does that mean? It means we understand that we are hopeless. It means we understand we come to God with open hands. And it means we understand that God loves us. And when we understand that, it, it, it means that we understand that we exist for God. That God doesn't exist to meet our every need. And he's not a big Santa Claus to give us what we want. But we exist to serve God. And if we love God, we will obey what he says. And if we obey what he says, then we will love one another. And if we love one another, God will re be revealed to the world through us. That's the importance of what Paul is saying. You need a right view of God. You need to understand that justification comes by faith and faith alone. And there's nothing that we can do or nothing that we deserve. It's it's all by the grace of God. And it's all because Jesus became a curse for us. We'll close with this. Martin Luther said it better than I could ever say it. Martin Luther said this. Paul does not say that Christ became a curse on his own account. 
but that he became a curse for us. He is innocent in himself and should never have been crucified. His punishment came because he took our place. And that is why he died the death of a thief. It is we who are the thieves. 